You're listening to the Various and Sundry Things podcast, the Vast podcast. I am your host, Donna Gay Tyler. Okay, and we're live in five, four, three. Now that's somebody else's intro. Hey, everybody! How you doing? What you doing? It's been so long. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. It's been so long, I'm punch drunk. <laughs> Not literally, though, because it is, but the um, uh, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th hour of the day, I don't know military time that well. Hey, everybody, how are you? Oh, my God. I've missed you so much. I know, I know. Where have you been, Donna? What have you been doing? Why have you been I know, I know all of that. I deserve it. Every last bit of it. I do. I deserve it. And here's the sitch, right? Um, so I tried to record a podcast like, um, was it about a week ago? Maybe a week ago, two weeks ago. And I did the whole thing, but in my haste, mm-hmm, haste makes waste. Is that that how that saying goes? Yeah, in my haste, I wasn't double checking um, my sound as I was going. I was just like putting it back together, you know, recording piece by piece um, as I, I am sometimes, um, as is sometimes I need to do because of... Um, my computers. And so I wasn't listening to the playback as I was putting it together, you know, just recording it piece by piece. Like I said, that's how I sometimes do. And when I went to go and edit the whole thing and put it all back together, oh my God, it was a wreck. Something was wrong with my cord and it was all <laughs> staticky. It sounded like a CB radio from 1981. And I was like, oh, M. G. And I got very frustrated with myself in the whole process. And so I was like, fine, I'll just wait until I'm all the way out of school. And I'll just, man, the school year is over. So the school year is over. <laughs> and I'm back, y'all. Have you missed me? I hope so. A little bit. Thank you for waiting around. Thank you for tuning in today. Not necessarily waiting around, twiddling your thumbs, you know, and with bated breath and all of those other euphemisms. But it's so good to be back. Oh, my God. It's so good to be back. Life has been lifing. I'm sure your lives have been lifing too. I mean, just your personal lives. We're not going to even talk about America and what else is going on in the world. Well, not yet. But oh my God, you want to catch up just a bit? Okay. Like what's been going on with me? Oh my God, just everything. Um, The school year is over. You know, just a moment of silence. Hallelujah. Hey, glory to God. Um, Yeah, okay. I just am just going to be a churchy girl and sometimes, you know, kind of an irreverent girl at that. Well, woman, because in my fourth decade of life. But anyway, I'll be a girl as long as I want to be a girl. Anyway, man, so much has been going on. The school year is over. Thank God. Definitely one of the more challenging, not the most, but one of the more challenging um, years I've had as a professional educator. Um, I think definitely my most uh, challenging year was definitely my first year, followed by my second year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Woo, those were definitely the most challenging. And then um, the third most challenging year was the pandemic year, for sure. That was that was a doozy. Um, yeah, just didn't know how to do that. But this one's definitely been in the top five of um, unique challenges just because of, you know, I think we are really, this year we really had to dig in and um, figure out how to address the myriad needs of students who, um, you know, missed uh, some of their elementary schooling because of the pandemic. Like, you know, everybody keeps saying that too. Like these kids, you know, missed a year of school because of the pandemic. And so these are the problems and situations and issues that they present. 
and that their families come with and that all of that. I mean, now, to be fair, it's like that every year. Every year is a new group of students and a new group of issues and challenges and, um, you know, things to have to deal with and, you know, finagle around with or whatever as a professional educator. So this group is not different in that regard, but in as much as they did miss, what was it there? So 2021, was it their fifth grade year that they were online? Part of their fifth grade year or the majority of their fifth grade the year they were online, I guess. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, that plus, and not just my particular group of students at my particular um, middle school here in Kentucky, but also I've never, it, it seems that this part, I know it's cliche, but it does. It feels like it's getting worse and worse. And by it, I mean the attack on education in general. I've seen so many podcasts obviously not mine, podcast episodes about um, education and all of its maladies and whether or not it's a failure. Um, of course, there's the um, ideological attacks on education vis-a-vis um, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida and, you know, you know, calling all of this, you know, rich history out of what um, has been taught and what should be taught in America's classrooms so that, you know, these students get a full picture of what America really is, was, is, and can be. Um, I just, I've never seen it um, like this. Uh, I thought that during the pandemic, after the parents turned on us, um, I'm just telling the truth, you know, after we had been online for so long, they were like, these teachers being lazy. You know, at first we were, you know, heroes. And then those capes were ripped off our backs unceremoniously. And then teachers and the education system as a whole turned into a villain because they didn't want, um, quote, they, meaning the teachers didn't want to go back. We just didn't want to die from COVID. We didn't know what it was. But anyway, um, I've seen it this year. It feels like it has gotten worse in terms of the vilification of teachers in the education system in general and teachers specifically. But having said that, but having said that, oh my God, drum roll. I was honored to be chosen as my middle school's teacher of the year. If you follow me on social media, you have probably seen about 1.5 million posts about um, the award that I um got this year. And first of all, like I said, I am truly honored to have received that award. Um, it's kind of surprised. I, and it, you know, even though a couple of my colleagues like, come on, you knew, you saw your name, you knew it was going to be you, but I, n- n- nothing is a shoe in for me nowadays. Like I, I don't trust anything. <laughs> I don't trust anything. But like I said, if you follow me online on social media, you've seen like a million, you've seen a couple of posts about it, you know, 1.2 million because there were pieces or parts of it. Um, as it was presented to me. So the first um, set of posts was the actual day that I won, uh, found out that I won, I came to work. And that day was so funny. It was a Friday. And um, as, you know, circumstances would have it, it was one of those days when I was late, you know, I get up at the butt crack of dawn and I don't care what happens. Um, My daughter and I are bound to get caught up in something, some conversation, some piece of getting ready, some hair conversation. And my gosh, she's only six. You know, I don't want my hair like this. Mommy, where is this mark on my nose? You're six. But what? Or I, honey, this is not even acne. What are you talking about? But anyway, as you know, time would have it. Situations would have it. I was late to work. And my boss, the principal's in the hallway. 
um, right by uh, my classroom. And I was like, oh, hey, how you doing, buddy? Yeah. So, of course, I'm a little late today, but you know, don't get on my case today. He's like, no, it's all good, Miss Kay Tyler. It's all good. I was like, oh, thank you. Okay. I thought you was coming to tell me, you know, like, ma'am, it's the end of the year. We, we still ain't got this together yet. Like, see, what had happened was, so I come around the corner and there's a group of students and some of my colleagues, my doors all decorated. It was a very nice banner on there. I said, um, you know, my school's name, uh, um, student, student of the year, teacher of the year, Donna Gay Tyler. And I take pictures and I go inside and there's, you know, some more decorations by my desk and flowers and gifts. And it was very, very cool. Of course, my ubiquitous cup of coffee is in my hand as I'm taking all of these pictures with students and staff. And I, I mean, honestly, in this profession, it's hard to come by a thank you and a heartfelt, you know, you mean the world to us. And I mean that like on a larger scale, because I don't want to, um, you know, gloss over the fact that every year, almost every month, I have gotten a pat on the back, a thank you from staff, from my administration, um, administrative team, from, oh my God, the wonderful students that I teach um, they have really, really gone out of their way this year, um, some of them to make me feel like I am doing a good job. Um, but the larger scale, like I said a couple moments ago, um, on a larger scale, it's kind of hard to come by. It just feels like there's a lot of criticism of teachers and teaching and education, public education to be specific, um, out there. And so to get something like at that level, that recognition, that it really did. It, it, it was like, it was definitely the cherry on top of the icing, on top of the delicious, delicious cake. And it was... It was like, it was really meaningful for me. And like, I always teased, I said, you know, I'm a thug. I'm from Chicago. Okay, I'm not. I am from Chicago, but I'm not a thug. But anyway, I, I do play one on TV. And I did. I was like, I feel some water in the back of my eye. I feel cry in the back of my eye. But thugs don't cry in public. You know, we just be like, you know, you know, thank you so much. And so um, that was that portion of it. And then um, my district uh, where I work, they had a whole ceremony. And I have never even heard of this in, in anybody's district, as a matter of fact, where they honor all of the teachers of the year. So I think there's like 70 schools or so in our district. And each school building um, picked a teacher of the year. And there was this whole big, you know, event for it. It was so nice. It was so, and nice is so is an understatement, but it was really, really like, it surprised me. I got to take my family with me. My daughter and my husband came and we had a really, really good time. We danced, we ate food. Um, it was at a very nice venue. And then um, we like walked away from the dance room and where we were eating to another little um, cozy spot where um, we were kind of like outside the hotel under a tent. And then they called every single teacher's name and um, also honored, um, they had picked the district teachers of the year on the primary level and on the secondary, which included middle school. Um, I did not get that honor, but the people that they picked um, did um, were, oh my God, they were just overwhelmed and teary and everything. And it was just really nice. Like we were all like just there buttering each other up and, you know, high-fiving and salute, salute, salute. And it was, it was really, really an awesome experience that the district and also our um, board of education and superintendent, um, my principal was there, all the, you know, school principals were there. It was just really, really cool that we were being, you know, enveloped in this, you know, this sense of gratitude in terms of we appreciate you and all the hard work that you've done, that you get recognized. And I don't want to go, I don't want to get bitter on it because it always, I always used to complain about these kinds of things because the only th times that I would really see teachers being 
like given prizes would be like, you know, like for like teacher of the year or whatever, educator of the year would be these outside organizations. And it felt like you had to go through so many hoops and jump and, you know, like adopt five kids and, you know, I don't know, build tiny houses for, you know, one central population in a city in order to be recognized. And it was like, you know, these teachers who really just kind of come in, do their job, um, you know, try to make the connections with the kids, get their work done, you know, it's nice to feel like, you know, we actually, we see you. I mean, and I think that's the type of teacher that I am. I'm not necessarily adopting five kids. I don't have a school bus that I'm picking up extra kids to go to church with me on Sundays. That's my mother. Um, she used to do that for real. And, but I, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, I feel seen that, you know, my efforts as a teacher, a classroom teacher to make connections and to actually teach my students and get results and things like that, you know, building relationships and all those other kind of things. Um, you know, throughout the building, um, I go and threaten a sixth grader sometimes. <laughs> and then sometimes I smile at them too. But, you know, it kind of, it's a mixed bag. It's not, I'm not one of those teachers that doesn't feel like, you know, you can't smile until, what is it, uh, winter break or whatever. That's not my MO. But sometimes I do have to like let them know that, you know, there is sugar and salt over here. So depends on how you going to act, which one you going to get mm -hmm, in your cup of coffee. But no, honestly, I, like I said, I've never even heard of such, you know, like a big time district, you know, celebration for teachers. And I know this is part of our district's, you know, new effort, a new initiative to kind of honor, um, you know, and exalt those who are, you know, doing the job and doing the hard work. You know, that's what everyone always says, even administrators say, you know, it's the teachers. They're the ones in front of the, you know, the students day in, day out. They're the ones who see your face every day and you're doing the hard work. And so, yeah, I have to admit it, it was really, really cool. So the next set of pictures that you saw after that, if you, again, if you follow me on social media, um, was the actual trophy coming to my school. And so every school has a teacher of the year trophy. It's a, you know, nice little cup looks like a, you know, some type of sporting event, um, you know, silver cup situation. And it has like a number of little mini plaques on it. And every year that there's a teacher of the year, that teacher's name gets engraved on it. And, you know, for posterity. And I was like, now nah, that's really cool. So after I'm, you know, long gone from my school, um, you know, my name will still be there as one of the people who's, you know, made a difference and who gets the spotlight. I don't like where you at, Jennifer Hudson. But anyway, so that was the last set of pictures that I posted. Um, and that was I think that was the last day of school, as a matter of fact, that um, the trophy came. And again, I ended up running to my principal. He's so cool. And um, I was coming around uh, the front of the building to the front of the building. I don't know where I was going. I think I was just uh, walking because, like I said, it was the very last day of school. And he was coming with the trophy, like to find me. And I saw him with the big trophy in his hand. I was like, oh, that's really nice. And he was like, uh, hello. It's like the teacher of the year. I was like, oh, I totally forgot all about that. And um, yeah, so I took pictures with that and uh, had um, there's some parents there. They were waiting uh, for the eighth grade uh, ceremonies, um, our promotion ceremonies. Uh, at the school. And so they were like, oh, well, congratulations. And so, you know, once again, it was a whole bunch of like, almost like the first time. Feels like the first time. Everything's a song today, y'all. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, so that, that's, that was like what has taken up a lot of my life in a very, very good way. Um, I ain't mad at that. Um, I got a lawn sign and I got a medal and I got a little, um, all the teachers got, that got a lawn sign, got a medal. We got like a little, um, paperweight um crystal apple with our name on it um and a new car no i'm just kidding that's that's from oprah uh let's see I'm looking at what else i had written down from the episode that i tried to record like i said my daughter is finishing up kindergarten she has a couple more days 
um, of school. I'm so proud of her. I really, really love her school. Um, she had a presentation of learning. It was a student-led conference and the teacher, and shout out to her teacher, oh my God, and both of their kindergarten teachers at her school, because they are doing, oh my God, the gods, they are doing the Lord's work. They are literally doing the Lord's work. So they help these kids put together these portfolios, I kid you not, of just their fourth quarter work and you know the big project that they've been working on. And the kids, the students had to, um, they call them scholars, they led the conference. They read to us from the book um, at the current reading level that they're on. And then they led us through all of the work that's in their portfolio and um, an explanation, even of her um, map test scores. And, you know, she was showing, you know, like these bars, you know, have gone up. And when I had seen her map scores a couple of weeks ago, that's what she was telling me. See, mommy, mine have gone up. I was like, see, that's what I'm talking about. Taking ownership of your of your learning. That's all right. That's all right, girl. And um, then she played a math game with me uh, to demonstrate, you know, some of the, you know, like the little skills or whatever that they do in class. And it was actually kind of cool. I was like, dang, if I taught kindergarten, I would definitely want to do that. But I do not want to teach kindergarten because God bless. Yes. No, never, never, ever, never, ever. I've never taught. I've only been a sub in kindergarten. I've never taught, never can, never will. Just I don't have that anointing. That's not what the Lord wants for me in these last and evil days or um Anyway, so yeah, she's finishing up uh, school. I have volunteered to uh, be there for her last day of school. They're having their, their field day. That should be a lot of fun. Um, just, you know, trying to help out. And they had like a little dedication of their new park. And I was there for that. And then I was on the field trip. You know, I'm trying to make up for all of the <laughs> events that I may have missed um, during the school year, during the school day in particular, because, you know, I teach and I can't be there. Now I had to go on the last field trip. She had kind of like, um, not threatened me, but she was like, mommy, if we have one more field trip. You got to go. Your daddy got to go because you haven't been on any other field trips. I was like, you're right. As so I did, they went to the zoo and my husband and I did rock, paper, scissors. And it was my turn since I could, you know, I had a little bit more flexibility um, that particular day. And so I did, I went on the field trip with them. They went to the zoo, got lost on the way back to the bus. And they were the little group that I had was the last, me and this other parent, we were the last ones to get our kids to the bus. And it was just, oh God, it was, but the teachers were so nice about it. You we just trying to make sure that they got back. Cause if you know anything about buses, you know, everybody shares a bus in the city. And so we had to get the school buses back so they can do drop off, you know, for the kids. And um, so that, that was cool. That was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, we wrap it. Well, she's wrapping up her school year. I have wrapped up my school year. My classroom is packed and done, beloved, done. I had told my students, hey, if you come the last week of school, you are helping me pack. Oh, what else are we going to do? Pack. And what else? Clean. And what else? P I act. What part of that did you miss? God bless you. All right. I have a smile upon you. So yeah, beyond that, um, that's that's a big catch up on my life. Um, I don't know if it's really warm where you live, but oh my God, like some were just like descended, <laughs> like with a mighty rushing wind, like foosh. Like, oh, okay, you know, or, okay, we we just we going, we there. Okay, yeah, right. So today is 90 degrees here. I was talking to some family in Chicago and they were saying it's 90 there and it's been 90 all week. I'm like, dang, just so the last week in May, we just, all right, not a gradual warm up. We just go 80, 90. All right. My daughter keeps asking me if it's summer. I'm like, it sure, certainly feels like it. Forget what the calendar says, honey. Look at your arms. Look how tan they are from you going outside for recess. Um, again, God bless her teachers. I could not, I could not, I cannot, I cannot do recess. Never again. Never. Just can't. 
Oh my God, so much going on. So much has, has been going on in the world. So much going on in the world. I mean, so much had been going on, of course, when I was trying to record this. And honestly, this was just last week. I was looking back at my notes a second ago. It was just last week and I tried to record this, but it feels like, like it's been two weeks since I tried to record this episode because it feels like so much has you know, occurred in the world. It was literally just last week, the 24th, that um, Tina Turner passed. Um, I remember being outside. Um, I was school year was still going on for me, and I think it was our field day. Was that our field day? I'm pretty sure it was. And um, we we're monitoring the students, and honey, it was hot. And so, but it wasn't as hot as it is this week. Like I said, last week was kind of mild. It was warm and sunny, but it wasn't hot, hot. Like, oh my god, I got to go back inside, even though I love summer and I love hot weather. But anyway, um, it just kind of descended on us. Like I said, that hot weather. But I was outside, and I I was sitting in a chair. <laughs> And um, I got it. You know how you get notifications and like I almost I like and I hate them, like and loathe them because the notification came through that Tina Turner had died. And like it it shook me. It was like, oh, my God, I felt similar to how I felt when I got the notification. And I'm pretty sure that one came through on my watch. It was so awkward um, in class when Aretha Franklin died. Um, and that's because, you know, these are like idols, literally. And I don't mean that in the idolatrous, like, please don't jump on me because y'all religious. But um, like they were idols growing up. I should not have been singing private dancer, but I used to take a school bus to school in Chicago and I lived on the south side, but my school was on the near west side. And it took a while for us to do all the stops on the south side and then go um, I went to one of those magnet schools um, in the south side of the city. And so we were listening to Tina Turner in the 80s. We listened to radios on the way to school. Um, yes, I'm that old. Give me a break. But anyway, you already know that. Um, I mean, we were singing Private Dancer and um, What's Love Got to Do With It? And I had forgotten because I had talked about Private Dancer so much when we were talking about Tina Turner and her hits or whatever um, among some of the staff at my school that were old enough to remember her. Um, but I remember my dad preached a message, what's love got to do with it. And it was, he said, you know, it has everything to do with it. And he, you know, talking about the love of God and the love of Jesus. I was like, okay, yeah, I remember that. But I remember when that song hit, oh my God, that was huge. And then later on, I remember when, um, the movie came out and she was played by Angela Bassett and her unfortunate, um, ex-husband, snake of an ex-husband was played by Lawrence Fishburne. But oh my God, that was such a riveting movie. It was so good. And that was like my deep dive into her life. And I remember reading um, her autobiography, I, Tina. Um, I, I kind of had a, a thing going at that time. I don't know. I think my father started it. We started reading these biographies of these kind of like Motown era folks by um, Randy, T Randy, J. Randy Terraborelli. I'm probably messing up his name, but he had done a couple um, of uh, biographies on some other folks, but I, Tina was obviously her autobiography. But anyway, I remember reading those books and kind of being drawn into these people's lives because, you know, they're idolized and held up as these, you know, uber talented folk. But, you know, the story behind their story is often like shocking and riveting and what they've had to overcome. And of course, everyone knows Tina Turner's story and, you know, that of redemption and, you know, reinvention, repackaging, new iterations and all that kind of wonderful stuff that, you know, like presented her to me in my, you know, young, young years, my young years. Um, I wasn't quite a teenager, I don't think, when that came out, when a private dancer came out. And she was like, you know, 40, what will be, you know, largely considered in Hollywood and especially in the music business over the hill. I'm using my air quotation marks right now. Um, 
you know, the music game, especially rock and roll, wasn't a, you know, and of course people consider 40 old and it ain't. I mean, sometimes I do feel old though. I'm talking about the aches. But anyway, you know, she was in magnificent, you know, shape and voice. And, you know, and I don't mean that just because she was like super thin, but I just mean that, you know, she was able to, you know, be like this mega star and do all of this touring and stuff like that. That life is grueling. I mean, that's that's definitely not, you know, an unhealthy person's game. Um, and I ain't, and they ain't got nothing to do with weight. That's just like, if you, you got to get out there night after night and on the road and across the air and over the river and through the woods and bring it every night. Um, as you are well aware, Beyonce is on tour right now in um, Europe. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of criticism or some criticism, I guess, of her show um, that she's not dancing as much as she had in previous tours or whatever. I think this, the music, this Renaissance um, album that she has out, I think it kind of lends itself to a different interpretation of it. And of course, she's the artist. She made the music so she can do what she want to do with it. Um, but I will say this, all I, I don't have any tickets to go see Beyonce, but if anybody want to bless me, you know, when she come over here to the United States, feel free. I'm just saying. Or, uh, but anyway, all of the visuals that I've seen, the clips and whatnot on social media, she looks uh, freaking amazing. I mean, I don't know how many outfits sis has, but every doggone piece that I've seen her wear has been fantastic. I don't know if I have the vocabulary and I think I have a pretty decent handle on my vocabulary, but I I am like lacking the words right now. She looks good. She and all of the other, you know, she ate and full plus four and all that kind of stuff. She looks good. My point is, I mean, she's out there grueling. It, you got to get up on that stage and bring the vocals and all that other kind of stuff. And her daughter's been dancing with her. Now that I've seen a lot of criticism of the first night that she um, danced on stage, Blue, the oldest, her oldest daughter. And they were people were saying she looked stiff. I think the girl's 11 years old. Y'all, I guess people just ain't learned. Leave that child alone. They've been criticizing her since she was a baby and talking about her hair and all this other kind of stuff. And Beyonce wasn't doing her hair right. And she made a face and she looked like a daddy and all this other kind of stuff. And all she's doing is growing up and minding her millionaire business. And God bless her. She looked good. I don't know if I would have at this age, the gumption to get out there in front of these thousands of people. And this is your introduction to entertainment, right? Like, Hey, okay, I'm gonna let me get out here and dance with my mom, who happens to be Beyonce. It's insane, but anyway, back to Tina Turner. I had read, um, I, I saw the documentary on HBO, um, the Tina documentary, and I had also read, um, when that came out, I think is what, what I had seen from that, that back in um, January 16th, uh, 1988, that she had said, um, a Guinness World Record for the largest attendance at a, at a performance by a solo artist. This was 1988, and this was in Rio de Janeiro, and the crowd was 180,000 people. Girl, and you all, guys, everybody who's listening, everybody, um, however you identify, can you imagine singing and dancing for that many people? I, I cannot. <laughs> I just... <sighs> Well, actually, I can't imagine it, but like just the sea of people, and this is prior to cell phones and all of that kind of technology, you know, mobile devices in that regard. Um, and so you don't see cell phone lights across the people or whatever, but oh my God, just a literal sea of people. And there's one clip that I've been seeing online of her on some type of crane she has on heels and she's like running out to the end of her where there's like the little... Um, uh, 
area i don't know what you would call it. it's not a cage where she runs out to but it's like you know like it has like um it's she's not she doesn't have a harness on um it's kind of like a, a little mini gate and she's like running out on this crane out to the end that's going to like swoop across the the audience and she doesn't have any it doesn't appear that she has a harness or any ties or anything like what if she just how she what <laughs> it just it just does not compute does not make sense and this is a woman you know past the age of 40 when she's doing this type of touring and this type of dancing and this type of moving um i've seen a lot a lot a lot of takes on her life um oprah um did a lot of tributes to her um beyonce sang um i think river deep mountain high at her concert i saw lizzo was also on tour and she did um rolling on a river and that was really really good i saw the clip of that uh, i was like first of all y'all know lizzo can sing right and that's another one sis be singing dancing playing the flute night after night after night how how i mean and she's been touring for a hot minute here because i think we talked about her on the podcast a couple months ago when she had um one of those um old white founding fathers um flutes and she played it at one of her concerts that was a couple of months ago Oh my God. But yeah, she's got the energy. She's got the endurance. Like, go ahead, girl. You do you. I also saw kind of sadly that um, she had posted about how she's, you know, I think, I don't remember what her exact words were, but it's something about she's like starting to hate. I don't think she said the world. She could have said that. I'm starting to hate the world or she just wanted to log into social media and it just be whatever it is. And then, but instead people are still like, I don't know how the conversation turned towards her weight yet again. It's like, and I get it. I understand where she's coming from. You know, all this fake, you know, concern for her weight and how many. Somebody said something about um, her eating fast food. And she responded to it like she's like, I don't even eat fast food. I gave her fast food like two years ago. And then someone else said that, you know, being overweight is her brand. And she's like, I'm just trying to be me. And I feel bad because I feel bad for her because I understand it. Um, being an overweight woman, I, I get especially an overweight black woman. I get it. Everybody's in your business. And, you know, we just want to. We just want to help you because we don't want you. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I I can relate to Lizzo too. Even though I'm overweight, I don't have thank you Jesus. I don't have any health maladies. I don't ain't nothing else wrong with me. I don't want to say just knock on wood because that ain't what's sustaining me. Uh -huh, thank you. Insert churchy uh, girl right there. But yeah, that's I mean I don't have any other you know health maladies other than you know the normal aches and pains that come with being an older parent of a six year old who likes to get up and go like from the moment. You know, as soon as like that battery puts gets put in the back of her back, you know, she's like, ding. All right, here we go. Like, what? Uh, huh? <laughs> Literally this morning, she woke up. We had changed the alarm to a Ty Tribbett song. Uh, Ty Tribbett has a choke hold on Delaney and I. His live in Orlando album. Oh, my God. We just just. Yeah. So new, the new, 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 everything new, 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 new. New, new, everything new. Yeah. So that's what we changed the alarm to. Honey, that hit, she stood up in the bed and started doing belly flops. I'm like, sis, are you, uh, what, huh? All right. <laughs> I was not ready. I was not ready. I was like, all right. So then I'm ready to go. She hit the flow. I'm hitting the flow. That's not even the line from the song, but yeah. So yeah, like I said, just the, you know, regular aches and pains that come with me and this weight and trying to work out more on my Peloton. But yeah, I don't know how those girls, how women 
how how Tina Turner did it for so long and how Beyonce continues to do it and Lizzo and all of these folks that are touring and making folk happy and you know hopefully making a whole lot of money because they are certainly giving up a lot of time and and talent and you know I'm sure they're exhausted you know when it's all said and done and shout out to all of their crews and everybody you know the people that are responsible for helping it get together and the fashion and the choreographers and the food folk because that's what I'm thinking about how y'all eat what do y'all eat or what do you have time to eat I mean you know it's got to be healthy it's got to be something that's going to sustain you you can't be looking for chick-fil-a over in Switzerland I mean that's not then them chick-fil-a fries ain't gonna get you through a whole set you know the night set however long however many hours the concert is oh my god like just the singing alone is very challenging for my years of singing in choirs on Sundays. And it, it felt like a concert every Sunday. Those of you who know me, y'all know what church I'm talking about. <laughs> we would sing praise and worship about an hour. Quiet only sang two songs on Sunday, but my God, it felt like 37. We were standing up for forever until Jesus came back and the cows came home and all of that. It did. It felt long and tiring and it was hard. And I was way overweight at that time. And so it was hard trying to sing in some hills in a choir robe. Are you out of your mind? Okay, sorry, flashback. Anyway. <laughs> So yeah, um, hence the title of this podcast, Simply the Best. Just a, another shout out and you know, may she rest in peace um, to Tina Turner. I saw something really stupid before I get away from this topic, really stupid online. Um, the post itself wasn't stupid, but it was the comments. And I really got to remind myself to stay out of the comments sometimes. It was um, a post about uh, that. I, I knew that one of her sons had died. I didn't know her other son. Um, had died. And so she doesn't have any uh, children uh, left. She died at uh, age 83. And um, her husband, I think they'd only been married. I forgot how many years they'd been married, but they'd been together since the 80s. And um, he'd uh, given her a kidney. She had been very ill um, a couple of years ago, about a decade ago, I think. Um, maybe a decade is how long they've been married. But nevertheless, he's going to um, get her, inherit her estate. It, this post was saying that they believe it's worth an estimated $250 million. Um, and so there were some comments, the guys, he's, he's European and, you know, read white. Um, so there were some stupid comments. This is the stupid part that we're saying, you know, why should, you know, he, this white guy get her money. No, first of all, it's our husband. And so in the story, we close the book. We're done. It's her husband. That was her love, her choice. Like, stop it. It doesn't matter what color he was. And some people rightfully in the comments was like, oh, should the black husband that beat her every day, he should be the one. Of course, Ike's dead. Thank God. Um, should he be the one that inherits her money or his, you know, offspring? Give me a break. I mean, even though I think she took care of Ike's kids, I think she, you know, took them in, at least in the movie she did. Um, she took care of them like they hurt his sons, like they were her own. But, um, yeah, that, like I said, stupid, just really, really stupid. And speaking of other things that are stupid, and I must admit that I am one of the ones who probably, not probably, but who did help perpetuate this. Um, there was a little uh, conversation, too, uh, led, I think, by Mark Lamont Hill um, with regard to how, um, I think he's one of the ones, I know I saw a couple people actually post this, how Ike Turner kind of got this unfair pedestalizing in hip hop culture. And I think just in the black community in general, um, and I say I've contributed to it because I know I posted a meme not too long ago. I actually saw it, um, posted a meme or two um, of Ike Turner actually played by Lawrence Fishburne. Um, you know, when he had that look, when uh, it's this, it's, and it's a, the scene that I posted is when he has like the, um, the Beatles haircut and it's, it's a very, it's the harshest, I think one of the harshest scenes in the movie um, when Tina's in their home recording um, Nutbush City Limits 
and he puts everybody out the house and he he assaults her. And um, but prior to that moment, like he kind of gives a, a look, gives her a look. I mean, and in the movie, he's high. He's like doing actively doing drugs as she's recording the song. And, you know, he's telling her that she's not doing something right. And she's like, yes, I am. I ought to know I wrote the song. And so that's what angers him. I'm talking about from the movie perspective. Um, I don't remember this in her um, autobiography, but nevertheless, like I said, I've posted that meme before of Ike looking at her like, who are you talking to? Um, and so anyway, this conversation led by Mark Lamont Hill, among others that have brought it up about, you know, how hip hop in particular, um, rap music has kind of like pedestalized him. And even Jay-Z had a line in one of his songs, Eat the Cake Anime, and it's become jokes and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of um, rappers have, you know, alluded to Ike beating, you know, Tina Turner. And it's like, yeah, it's pretty darn bad. Because then the other memes that I saw in the wake of her death were like, you know, Tina Turner, when she gets to heaven and sees that Ike is there. And I forgot what um, uh, person it was that posted this, but it was like, y'all did see the movie, right? Y'all y'all do know that, you know, they're probably not in the same place. Now, I don't really care what your spiritual or religious, um, you know, ideology is, but um, we're just going to go with Ike was pretty much hellbound. <laughs> now, I will say this. I don't know what he was doing at the end of his life on his deathbed or anything like that. But every time that I saw him in public um, post, you know, breakup and even around the time of the movie, you know, when all of that was rehashed and things like that, he was still a bitter kind of evil, mean guy. Um, he had some other woman that I think he was trying to style, you know, in his music. And uh, I think he had gotten married again. And he was, you know, like, this This going to be my next big break or whatever. It's like, he was still a pretty evil and bitter guy. Like, he wasn't, he didn't seem repentant or anything like that. And so I was like, well, you know, forget you then. And you can kick bricks or whatever. But yeah, I was like, somebody said that they post like, y'all did see the movie, right? Y'all y'all know they're not in the same place. They, they, they can't be, you know, whether you believe in God or some other kind of, you know, religious you know, higher level intelligence being like, mm -mm, that, that just ain't fair. It's just, that's just not fair. All that she had to endure at his hands and then y'all end up in the same place. Like, oh God, no, please, Jesus. You know, now I know there's a little bit more that goes with that if you're a Christian, but anyway, that's what, that's what we're going to stick with. That's my story. And I'm sticking with it. I, I, Lord, so many other things that I had um, planned to talk about, or I actually did talk about in my last podcast. Um, I talked a little bit about politics um, and I really don't want to rehash it just in terms of, you know, what's the, I just mentioned him a couple moments ago, DeSantis um, had kicked off his care, his um, presidential campaign rather unceremoniously with like um, a live um, announcement on Twitter. I guess Twitter has some kind of Twitter spaces, but I think it's just audio. And so he was being interviewed by the head of Twitter. Is he still the CEO? Cause I heard he was stepping down. Um, Elon Musk, but it it glitched. I guess it was worse than my podcast, <laughs> the last one that I tried to um, record, the last episode I tried to record. It glitched mightily, and like they had to go off, and you know, like you know, go off from being live, and they tried to come back up, and then I guess the servers couldn't handle all of whatever the bandwidth or whatever it was, but it was just like super glitchy, and yeah, and I've seen a lot of um, op ed and think pieces about that, about you know, like Ron DeSantis was trying to. Eschew. Am I saying that word right? Eschew. I was saying it wrong. Um, then Ron DeSantis was trying to eschew, like, I guess the, what, the Silicon Valley, um, 
establishment or whatever, but then he goes, which it makes sense if you think about who Elon Musk is and at least what he appears to be, what he appears to stand for. It makes sense that he would, you know, kind of align himself with him, but then it makes him look kind of foolish because the whole kickoff campaign announcement or whatever is like, I mean, which is really what Twitter is kind of coming down to um, at this point. I know a number of people are still on there um, and every now and then I would like, oh, maybe I need to get back on Twitter. You can see what they were talking about. But then I'm like, yeah, no, because I did jump down the TikTok hole. And so I, I do get a little bit of, you know, what's going on over there. Um, and I'm still on Facebook, which is, of course, for old people. And um, of course, I still read the news. I mean, because, duh, that's, you know, there's that, you know, who knew that that was actually a place where you can, not, you know, get the news, like actually read it, go to the websites, you know, the reputable ones or the irreputable ones, if you that's how you roll, whatever. But yeah, so yeah, that. And the only reason I'm talking about him is because I know that he seems to be the, um, the well, Trump is the front runner, but like, you know, you know, clicking up, coming up on his heels is DeSantis and a whole bunch of some of everybody has jumped into the Republican race, um, you know, to be the nominate, the nomination, to get the nomination for a Republican um, to run against uh, Joe Biden, who tripped and failed. Was that yesterday or earlier today? I was like, oh God, you know, here we go. He's the oldest person to have, um, to serve as president of the United States. But the Lincoln Project, you ever follow them? Oh my God, they came out real quick with it. They were real quick with it. Because you know, the Republicans are going to jump all over that because there's this whole, I, I, don't, I don't think it's real. I think they've asked about 30 people and these 30 people are like, yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about Biden's, you know, his mental capacity. I'm like, but y'all wasn't concerned about Donald Trump's? Come on. I, I, I think it's fake. I just, I, I, I don't buy that. Like if, because again, I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm on Twitter. <laughs> But I think the point that I'm making here is if there's such, you know, a large scale concern for Biden's mental fitness, then these people are just, you know, showing their bias because Donald Trump did not make sense half of the time that he talked. And I'm not just saying that because I'm not a fan, never can be, never will be. Just no, not as a political figure. Um, but yeah, no, he does. He didn't make sense. Most of the to get grief. I mean, we could just go back to the pandemic, you know, shine a light down there and, you know, always trying to take credit for every freaking discovery and not giving people, you know, letting the experts be the experts when it came down to the pandemic and letting the scientists, you know, you know, do what they needed to do. It's just, he was a big joke. And then, you know, he's an expert on everything. If you ever listen to him talk, he knows so much. He just has, you know, he's just such a smart guy and has all of these great grades and Oh my God, they were showing a clip. Who was that? Somebody was showing a clip the other day of him being interviewed by some, I guess, right-wing religious entity or whatever. And they were asking him about his faith and how important his faith was to him. And he was talking about how his parents went to church, even though they weren't very open, um, that they, you know, and that he went to Sunday school, but he couldn't, he couldn't really pin anything down to what does your faith mean to you? I mean, it's the same question that someone asked him or similar question someone asked him a couple of years ago when he first got in the race and was it two Corinthians that he was talking about? You know, he didn't have a favorite Bible scripture because, you know, that was very personal. What? That's not even how Christianity is. It's not, you know, it's me and mine and I'm a, I'm a secret about it. It's, it's not like what, what sect of Christianity do you ascribe to where your personal religious beliefs are hidden. I mean, it's the very opposite of what the Bible says. If our gospel be hidden, it's hidden to those who are lost. What's the whole point of being a Christian if you're not, I mean, it's not just about you. It's 
that that's what differentiates Christianity from a couple of other religions. It's not it's not insular. It's not, you know, sectarian. It's not supposed to be. I know we've made it that very much so. Oh, my God. And in this month of June, I'm gonna leave that for the next podcast. When we talk about that. But oh, my God, I've seen so much hate and um, just vitriol towards gr- groups of people who don't come across, I guess, as the same type or brand of Christianity as these people who are just being so mean online. And I'm, yeah, I'm talking about them folks that's hating on Target and literally lying on Target. Um, I said, I was going to talk about that in the next episode. We ain't got time, y'all. We ain't got time. Plus they mowing the lawn outside. I know y'all can hear that. That's the city. But yeah, I just, so again, I, it's not everybody's brand of Christianity, you know, and, you know, and Trump is just, he's, if he's a Christian, he's a fake Christian. If he's a Christian, then I'm an airline pilot. I'm not, I'm a teacher. I'm just saying he, he has none of the markings, you know, <laughs> by this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you have love for one another. So look at the fruit that he bears. Whoop, there it is. But anyway, like I said, DeSantis, Trump, and DeSantis gets on my nerves and the people in Florida who support him, because again, it's this narrow constriction this narrow idea of what should be taught in schools to America's youth. And he wants to go and make that writ large across the United States of America. And if we are to believe, and I mean, you, me, and everyone who does not even sound like you or look like you or look like me and sound like me, you know, whatever our differences are, he wants to, you know, apply that narrow understanding, that narrow teaching across the the width and breadth of the United States. And it just doesn't make any sense. And it's so exclusionary. And that's what really burns me up because you want to cut this out and cut this out. And this doesn't make any sense. Or this has no educational value. Or we're not going to teach about Black people. We're not going to teach about Martin Luther King Jr. We're not going to talk about Black Lives Matter. We're not going to talk about what led to the all of those big marches and protests across the whole world back in 2020. We're not going to talk about all of those things. And it's like, who is that benefiting? Why are you cutting out the parts of history that are part of American history? Because it happened in America. So that makes it American history. Duh. Period. But why are we cutting all that out so that just a certain group of people are represented? That doesn't make any sense. And I don't understand how people jump on that bandwagon and support that nonsense. It's indoctrination of a group of people just based on one demographic. White. That's it. Okay, two, white and pseudo-Christian. That's all it is. I saw some other lawmaker from another state talking about, you know, they want to replace like mental health workers with, was it chaplains or something like that? These folks not, honey, no. Fat, no, period. Full stop. Them folks ain't ready to deal with all of the mental challenges that these young people are bringing to school with them. I was telling someone else, actually, I was telling one of my students, some really smart kids. We had this conversation. I'm pretty sure the last week of school, um, she was saying, um, I was saying how different it is with the kids and, you know, all of the things that they have to deal with. I said, I, I don't think that it's, that it's, that the kids are necessarily worse. I think that the magnification of the problems is just broader because in my generation, we had the issues, but we were told to like, suck it up, deal with it. And, you know, we did. We swallowed a lot of it. Now, of course, that probably leads to a lot of the dysfunction that you see from adults in my age group and up um, and down, depending on which way you want to look at it. Um, you know, at least to a lot of it has led to a lot of the 
a lot of the dysfunction that you see, you know, in adults and their inability to deal with problems in a meaningful way. I mean, look at DeSantis, like, if you don't agree with me, then, you know, I'm, it's my way or the highway. That's really what he's saying. Literally, this is the way that you need to be taught. Ergo, this is the way that you need to believe. And so I was telling the student, you know, I don't think that there are their generation is necessarily so much more worse. Of course, there are some mitigating factors that that are, I think, a lot, a lot worse. Um, some of the blights that are hitting some of these communities much, much harder because they keep going on. Like nobody's, you know, on a governmental level is trying to figure out how to fix it or really cares enough to fix it. Boy, this is a preachy podcast episode. But anyway, I just think um, that, you know, these kids bring it, um, it's a little bit more overt. And she was saying that her mom has told her the same thing. Like, you know, it's not that we didn't have these problems, you know, within our families and things like that. It's just that it's just, you know, we we had to swallow it and deal with it the best way we can. But, you know, prayer, prayer changes things and prayer changes people. Got it. These kids need some experts. They need some experts. If they happen to be praying experts, that's a bonus. But they absolutely need some experts who are trained to help these children, trained to help them talk through their situations, trained to take the necessary steps and the protocols that need to be taken when the kids do present with, you know, the myriad problems that they do present with in public schools nowadays. And like I said, I'm not saying that it's necessarily worse, it's definitely different. Ooh. <laughs> Okay, Donna, you on your soapbox today, girl. You on your soapbox today. The last thing I talked about in um, the podcast that that wasn't the episode that I was trying to um, record was about Lord. Do you all pay attention to, um, or have you paid attention to? De, is it Denea Jackson? She was married to this so-called um, self-proclaimed relationship expert named Derek. Uh, Jackson. Um, he would do these um, little recordings from his car where he'd be giving this relationship advice. And the whole thing turned out to be a big fraud in as much as he was cheating on his wife. And I forgot who the, who the person was. It was some like online um, columnist, gossip person or whatever that exposed him. And because one of his um, paramours is a term my dad would use. Um, I guess went to her and was like, he was actually recording that video outside my apartment. So while he's giving people relationship advice, you know, in the guise of a, you know, heterosexual, um, monogamous married man, he was literally recording, um, these episodes in his car outside of his girlfriend's homes. So, um, initially these, so these some black folks. So, so for y'all that don't follow along, <laughs> follow along with this, that's why I'm giving you all this background. And some of y'all that's, you know, black, or maybe you're just kind of interested in it. You may know who these folks are, but anyway. Uh, so Denea, I think I'm saying, I hope I'm saying her name right. Is it Denea? Yeah. yeah. So that's who Derek Jackson is. And Denea, I am saying her name Jackson is. So after he got busted for cheating, they showed up together on, a, I don't know if it was an IG live. I hope to heaven it wasn't, but, um, it was a recording that they uploaded and, um, you know, he was all pulled together and whatnot and talking about, I don't even remember what he was talking about because I didn't watch it. But all I remember was the fallout because he was looking all, you know, clean, fresh haircut and all that kind of stuff. And she looked like kind of like she had just kind of woke up and she had a bonnet on and we'll discuss the bonnet wars another day. I ain't got time. Um, <laughs> not today. But yeah, she had a bonnet on and... Like I said, like she was in, you know, I think she had like a sweatshirt on or whatever. It just, 
she wasn't totally unkempt. She just wasn't pulled together. Like we're going to get on the internet, you know, on Tina Turner's internet and just show up. Here we go. Like we're going to talk. And um, she was very defensive after that because people were coming for her because you know how that go. You know, we don't, we don't like to see our folk out there just looking at any, any kind of way. And unfortunately, a lot of people blamed her um, for whatever infidelity he had, you know, engaged in, which isn't fair. I've seen that happen way too many times. It ain't her fault that he decided to step out. But anyway, eventually, I guess they went their separate ways. I don't know if their divorce is final, final, and it ain't really my business. But what has been my business, because they've made it all of our business, um, Danea has. She got recently interviewed um, on, I think it's Dear Future Wifey podcast. And she's talking about her experience with him. And um, I didn't watch the whole thing. I was just like, whoa, she looks a lot better. Um, got, you know, got her face together, makeup done. And she's she's a little bit more, you know, ready for the public, if you will. And she was talking about how he had been with a, at least a hundred women, I suppose, since they've been together. And I think since they've been together as prior to their marriage, I think as, um, I think she was a late teenager when they first met and that she watched um, sex videos from him and I guess his other women. And she tried to pattern herself after, I guess, the acts that she'd seen on, on the videos and try to look like them and all this other kind of stuff. And it sounded really, really, I was like, whoa, what? Like, are you ready to talk about that now? I mean, you know, kudos to her if sharing her story is part of her healing um, process, part of her part of her healing journey. Um, I just, I, I absolutely feel bad for her though because that's just that. It, sorry, that just mm, that ain't what the law want for me. I don't. I'm uncomfortable with it because it just seems like it's still kind of new. I think that's what it is. It feels like it. It wasn't that long ago that. Um, you know, they were breaking up, I guess. And so it just became kind of, I mean, for her to just discuss it in, you know, the manner that she talked about it, like she was shedding a few tears. And like I said, I didn't watch the whole thing. I saw a couple of clips of it. She was shedding a few tears, trying to talk about it more from a, like a clinical perspective and not like super emotional. And maybe she did get more emotional in the interview, you know, deeper into the interview itself. But it was just, I was like, Ooh, girl, like, are you, are you sure you want to talk about this now? Obviously, it's her choice, you know, her life, her story. But one thing I did see in the aftermath of this, um, and this was posted just a day ago on Bossip, Bossip Official on their Instagram that Denea Jackson, it says, is making a business out of her divorce from D Derek Jackson, looking to coach other women coping with the infidelity of their partners. Following her very public breakup, Denea has been on a press run about reclaiming her time after ex-husband Derek was caught up, I guess, so I guess their marriages um, officially dissolved, was caught up in, the, in multiple cheating scandals throughout the course of their marriage. Now she's aiming to help other women survive the serial cheaters in their life, but it comes at a healthy price. Um, I guess, not I guess, but obviously because of what I just said, my concern is, sis, are you all the way good on this? How, how you helping somebody else? And you, I mean, listen, it's a journey. Healing from any type of trauma, any type of situation, especially those type of relationships, um, relationship situations like that, um, you know, where infidelity is involved, where you talk about marriage, whatever it is, honestly, broken friendships or promises, broken relationships between, you know, family members. It takes a while. I speak from experience. It takes a while to get over that stuff. 
Um, and I know people still walking around with residual hurt, you know, to this day from situations that have happened between them and ex-partners, lovers, family members, and all of the other kind of stuff. Child, but on the Bossip website, apparently she is charging up to $5,000 for infidelity recovery boot camp. Girl, sis, um, $4,997 is charging for her personal one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, which are said to teach customers how to, quote, profit from your pain, end quote. Screenshots taken from the website. I'm still reading on Bossip. Show the price points she's charging for programs. Uh, within what she calls her infidelity recovery boot camp, girl. Um, and apparently she has said, quote, my price is my price, my time and the clinical professionals that I've partnered with is valuable. She wrote in one comment, when I fasted and prayed on it for 52 days, I was given clear direction on my 495 standard fee, $495 and my one-on-one -on -one standard fee in another. Well, okay, well, all right. Um, beloved, <laughs> I think this kind of links back to what I was saying, you know, and I know um, that's been one of her criticisms too, that she's like a heavily, you know, religious Bible thumping, Bible quoting woman um, and has been in a number of her posts um, on social media. I don't follow her, but I have seen a couple of her posts where she's been a Bible quoter, Bible thumper, that kind of thing. And so her uh, praying for 52 days and, you know, getting that number revealed to her. A, um, well, this is my podcast. So I can say what I want to say. <laughs> she said, my price is my price. My pack, my podcast is my podcast. Listen, leave the healing, um, to the professionals. I, I'm just saying any of my listeners out there that, you know, are in need of some infidelity recovery, um, go and find your professional and you ain't gonna cost you no $5,000 for no one-on-one, -on -one with Sister Denea Jackson, who just a couple minutes ago, I'm being a little bit facetious there, um, got out of a relationship with her husband that she has been in for a number of years and has been, I don't want to say subjected to, but has been in a long-term, you know, infidelity type situation. Like, I, um, she just got out of it. I I, I don't know what she, what can she give? She, she's still healing herself. And that's what a lot of people did say in terms of comments on the post about her um, interview on that podcast. Like she's still in the healing process. Even my favorite um, podcaster said the same thing. She was saying that, you know, she had gone through a divorce and she knows what that's like, you know, um, it, it takes a while. It takes a while to kind of get your life back together. I mean, and honestly, we're all just really moving along with the pieces of our life. We never get everything like glued back together and totally whole. I remember, um, you know, having that conversation with someone some years ago about, you know, always being ready for the next step because we are humans. We're never fully ready. Forget about that whole AI crap. We're, we're never fully ready for whatever it is that is next in our lives. We're human. And so there's going to be some part of us that's still a little chipped, a little broken, need a little duct tape, a little wig glue, a little eyelash glue, whatever, to kind of hold us together as we keep moving through life. I don't think that we're ever really progressing as a, a con like a fully whole individual, because that's what I used to hear when people will talk about you being ready for marriage, right? You know, like one whole person plus one whole person equals one whole union. But are, are these people entirely whole? I mean, unless you just, 
Even if you get married very young, you're still just coming out of, and in some cases escaping, you know, those teenage years and you're just in your twenties, you're not a whole person yet. You don't really know entirely who you are, what it is you want out of life. Um, I've heard a number of people say that. So I'm just going to go with that. I'm not just saying that because I'm in my, my late forties here, but you don't, you don't, you know, you're in your twenties, you're really just starting to become an adult and have, you know, adult responsibilities and make adult decisions and things like that. So you really, you're, you're, you're still just kind of at the start of it. So you're not really a whole person yet. Cause you're not entirely sure who you are, who you want to be. So I don't know. I just, we're not entirely whole individuals at any point, I don't think in our lives. And I don't know, for someone who is so new out of a very, very, gosh, traumatic situation um, and a mom, she's also a mother. I don't know. I don't know that she's, you know, in a professional sense, you know, capable of giving, you know, anybody any really good sound advice about, what, how to recover from it? She's not fully recovered herself. But I guess I'm also making my same, my own argument, right? I'm arguing against myself. Well, at what point do you give, are you ready to give somebody some some advice? Not then. I'm going <laughs> to just say that. Not then, sis. Not, and I get it. She's trying to capitalize off of it and monetize it. And do you, honey? You know, but I'm just saying, y'all, mm, go and take a little bit more time. Time does have a way of you know, making things a little bit better, putting things in perspective for us. You know, we're a little bit more removed from those situations and we can see a little bit more clearly. You know, hindsight, they say, is always twenty twenty. But yeah, just just give it a little bit more time. But I'm just saying, you know, I don't because it kind of feels like, you know, she's preying on other women in her position. Like and, and do they really have that kind of money to I guess if they did have that kind of money, if they did have that kind of money, would they want to give it to her? They'll find you a professional girl. I don't know. Am I being overly critical a little bit? Mm, I guess. But ifs. Um, there was something else I was going to mention too on the to, to kind of wrap this up in a more, <laughs> a little bit more of a lighthearted way. It's prom. It's prom season. It's almost over though. It's June. Um, and even I guess most of the public schools, even in uh, some of the late starting districts are, are almost done. So maybe prom season is wrapping up. Um, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I am, I'm going to end the podcast talking about this and I'm just going to say it the way I feel it. That's how folks say at church. I'm going to say it the way I feel. I'm just going to say it the way that it's in my head. You know, I see a marked difference between white kids who go on prom and black kids who go on prom. If you just look at the internet, you know, as a, um, you know, an indicator of this. And so what I have seen, as I have been seeing for the last couple of years, um, I'll say probably about the last decade, these prom send-offs are getting more and more exotic and expensive. That's the bottom line. Definitely a lot more creative. Um, the last one I saw literally today, I guess the family was like doing some kind of Cinderella situation, had some sisters sweeping outside the house with bonnets on and some blue smoke. And I guess Cinderella was off to the ball and she had on a blue gown. Uh, remember the couple years ago, a, a family um, had was sending off a young man on prom. He had two female prom dates, and I think there was a camel and sand in the middle of the neighborhood. And I kept thinking, like every other black mama, who gonna clean all that up? <laughs> who gonna clean that sand? Um, these kids have these exotic cars going off on prom, seventeen and eighteen years old. Um, I mean, the gowns I know because they're they're all custom, so they're they're pretty pricey. Um, this ain't, you know, what was the name of that bridal place? Uh, David's Bridal or any of those other shops that we used to shop at for our, um, you know, like 
formal gowns or whatever back in the late 80s, early 90s. This ain't that. This ain't that. I mean, I did. I had a um, a custom-made prom dress too, but I definitely had one of them exotic send-offs and we did not go to prom in no expensive car. Um, that wasn't it. Um, but yeah, I, so there's been criticism. I mean, a lot of it, you know, I, and I see both sides. I, I hate to be a both sideser, but I, I do. I see both sides. On the one hand, I do see some people's criticism, like it's just prom. These kids are 17 and 18 years old. It's prom. It's not, this is not the end of, I don't know. My mom's thing to me a couple decades ago when I went out on prom, was like, this is not your wedding. I'm not, I can't afford it, first of all. And I'm not about to spend, you know, copious amounts of money that I don't have on prom and it's not a wedding. This is not, you know, your one and done. I get it that prom is can be a one and done, depending on if you go to a junior prom or someone else's prom, that kind of thing. But it does seem like they are definitely more expensive and a lot more extravagant than when I was growing up. And so I guess I sound a little bit like a hater. I just couldn't afford it. At the same time, I told one of my friends um, just the other day, or maybe it was today, I was like, girl, if Delaney is one in all this in however many years from now, sis, I'm sorry, you out of luck. We are not about to rent no camels and... I guess she'll be flying to prom at this point, you know, kind of like Theo on uh, the Cosby show when they were trying to get a helicopter and all the girls here got messed up from the, the, the wind that the helicopter blades generated. It was crazy. It just, it is, it seems like a lot, but on the other hand, you know, people are saying, you know, if their parents have the money and it's their money, so they we don't have to be in their pockets. If they want to spend it on their kids, you know, do you, obviously they have making made that choice. Some girl, um, I forgot where she was. Um, she got like a full ride to maybe USC or something like that. And her prom send off looked like the prom. I mean, there was champagne and um, no caviar, but I believe that there was like a whole lot of lobster and shrimp. And there was a whole venue um, outside of their home, outside of their dwelling. And all of these like, I mean, larger than life uh, photos of her on, I think, I guess the fence around their house or whatever. And my, my only thing on that was like, I hope when she actually does get to prom, it's not a letdown because the, the send off and in, in many cases, I know is much better than the actual prom itself. Cause these, these schools ain't spending that kind of money on these, on these kids. Can you imagine how much the prom tickets would be if these prom venues were decked out it, you know, in just like a fraction of the taste and, you know, expense level that these prom send-offs are, oh my God, they're not, they're just not. And so that's what I was thinking, like the prom send-off is even a bigger deal than the actual prom itself. And so that's, I guess that's my other little criticism of it. It's like what, it's like this big hype. And then when they actually get to the event, it's like, oh, because I, I, nobody, you don't see any pictures from the actual prom. All of the pictures that we see are from the prom send-off. It's like, my God, um, I don't know. Some girl had a snake. Now, you know, I got real nervous about that because I am one of those people who does not like snakes. I don't want nothing to do with them. I don't want to see them in a zoo. Nothing. I don't like snakes. And so her whole ensemble, she had like this elaborate headpiece. It looked like there were snakes on the side of it. It was given, is that Medusa? Is that the character that has the head of snakes? Um, and she was like, I was like, what's the, what is child somebody spent a pretty penny on it um yeah but i don't know i don't know i i'm torn well like i said when it comes to my child we ain't doing all that i promise i want you to look good i want you to have a dress that you like i want you to have a hairstyle and all that kind of stuff that you like and a you know a person a date that you like too you know a person that you that you you know that you like that you were willing to you know 
you know, go and have a good time with at least for, for that evening. Um, but all this other, my God, he's just Superman and just everybody. Oh my God. Like, like I said, the send off is more than the prom itself. It's just, it's so extravagant. And then of course there are these people who are policing prom send offs in as much as, you know, these parents, if they spend all this money on these kids, I wish they had done all of that during the regular course of the school year, but we don't know anything about the kids and their backgrounds or unless, you know, their parents actually tell us on these posts. So maybe these kids are, you know, stellar students and whatever the case is, it's still their kid. And it doesn't mean that if they're not a good student, that they don't deserve to have, you know, to look nice and feel good going off on their prom. You know, like I said, I just said, my we ain't doing all that. And we're not. It's <laughs> just, I, no, it's just, and I don't care if I win the lottery. We ain't doing all that. Cause girl, by the time you get to the hotel and see what the prime venue is, you want to come back to the house. Like that one girl, she, she just want, she should, her mama should have just had prom right there. Cause I can guarantee you where she was going. They didn't have no champagne. Cause they all 18, which is underage for drinking. And they ain't had no lobster and shrimp and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to go over there for the send off just so I can get me a plate <laughs> to go plate. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay, I'm done. I have I have gone on and on and been on my soapbox for the entire episode. And beloved, that is it. That's all. I'm done. Listen, um, I'm on vacation. So, um, you know, summer vacation from my work. So I plan to be a lot more um, timely with my new episodes. And I hope to get my daughter in here um, behind the microphone with me. We'll talk about what her kindergarten year has been like from her perspective. She wants to do a podcast episode. And so I'm going to let her do it. I, I was kind of torn about whether or not I wanted to interview her because I didn't want it to seem like I was trying to, you know, like take advantage of her because she's my kid. But she is my kid and she wants to do it. I mean, she's sick. She's making this decision. So I'll talk about it with her dad. We'll, 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 we'll figure that out. We'll iron that out. I'm sure he's pretty cool with it. Plus I post her picture all the time on social media anyway. So, and she'll ask me, oh, did anybody say anything about my picture? Like, oh God, is this how it all starts? And then the next thing I know, she'll be a statistic and we'll be talking about her in one of these articles and how social media has messed up these kids' minds. But I'm, nope, she's not going to have a social media account. I told her she can't have a cell phone until she's 13. She don't need one. You, you six, what you need a phone with? That didn't make any sense. What you need a phone with? What do you need a phone for? Not supposed to end the sentence with a preposition, I know, right? She's in school. I know where you at. I know how to get in touch with you. Plus, I don't need to get in touch with you in the middle of the day. Pay attention. Be a good girl. Make good decisions. And if you, even if you are a bad girl, still make good choices, right? Right. And I'm so glad that you made the good choice to tune into my podcast. Y'all, yes, I miss you so much. Tune in next time. And I hope to have an episode um, up again um, within the next week, maybe even a little bit sooner than that, because obviously I have so much to talk about, right? Right. So in the meantime, stay classy and thanks for stopping by.